it's great uh, to see you all today. If you're a guest, my name is uh, David. I'm the pastor. We're glad you're here. And if this is your first time, you've come. We're kind of in, a, in the middle of a series entitled Breakthrough. Um, and as I've shared with the other messages uh, in this series to kind of start off with, it's about the gospel of Mark. And uh, Mark wrote it probably around 58 to 60 AD, right in there. Um, he got most of his material probably from Peter. And he wrote to Gentiles mainly because Christianity was becoming more Gentile. And that meant that, you know, Gentiles who, this whole worshiping of God was kind of new to them. And then there were Gentiles who hadn't come to faith, probably having questions. So he wrote an account of the life of Jesus. In writing to a primarily Gentile audience, Mark's account of the life of Jesus did something unique. It provided a breakthrough for people who didn't know God or his love. It was breaking through. And, and, and you know, when, you're, when you don't know God and you are in rebellion against God, you've got to break out of your system. You've got to break out of what you're going through. You've got to break, and you've got to break to Jesus. And so the ninth message is entitled, Breaking the Way God Intended, Part 1. Now, here's the thing. You may walk out of here today feeling like, well, there's a little bit missing, that there's some more things that I feel like the part of this message. It's because there's a part two coming next week. That's why. So it's, it's kind of like a cheap trick to get you to come back one more week, you know, just to do that. But that's what it is. We're in Mark chapter 9, and here's what I want you to see from the message today. If you want to break the direction of God, you break towards the cross. If, you, if you're in a place in your life, you need a breakthrough. You need a break to God. You need to break the direction God intends. If you're going to break the direction God intends, you break towards the cross. And so as we begin the message today, I want to go back in time for me to day one, class one, hour one, when I started my seminary life way, way, way back in the early 80s. Um, Southwestern Baptist Seminary out of Fort Worth, but I never went to Fort Worth on my master's. I did my doctorate, not my master's. I did all of that in the extension program in San Antonio. And the very first day of class, we're in systematic theology. I know what you're thinking. That sounds like a great class to be in, right? You know, systematic theology. None of y'all want systematic theology, but we got to take it. <clears throat> so Dr. Slover walks in. I mean, we're, it, it, it's, it's just the first minutes of class for the whole semester. He looks at all of us and he says, gentlemen, here's what I want you to know. The Bible is clearest at the cross, period. And that, and that was it. That's all. I could have stopped my seminary career right there. The reason is that's the only thing I remember from all the things the professor said over all the years I was going. The Bible is clear, it's at the cross. But what it did is it struck in me an understanding that throughout the rest of my life, I have thought about constantly. In fact, I've shared that with you many times. From the moment we sinned, the cross was always on God's mind. I mean, I've told you before many times, the Bible, if you look at the Bible, what's in the Old Testament promises something that's fulfilled in the New Testament. Now, the Old Testament can be hard to understand. I get that. But don't try to always understand it. Just know it's pointing to something. It's pointing to the cross. Everything in the New Testament looks back to the cross. To understand God is to understand the cross. And one of the things that I began to realize in my life is that life is clearest at the cross. For me, to life to make sense, to understand purpose, to understand meaning, I need the cross. And I do. 
And the cross is that important. Now, I realize that to many people, the cross is offensive. I hear that all the time. Well, the cross offends, the cross offends. I get that. I mean, Christians should never offend, but the message is going to offend people. And, and, and I hear sometimes people say, let's just take the cross out of Christianity. You take the cross out of Christianity, what you really got is you got the Christmas story, and everybody loves Christmas. The Christmas story doesn't offend people. I mean, you got, even though it's God in the flesh, it doesn't offend people. Who's offended by baby Jesus? Sweet, sweet little baby Jesus. There's even a song called Sweet Baby Jesus. Hallelujah. I mean, you, you take the cross away, what do you got? Well, you got Jesus as a man just walking around, correcting people's bad habits, Correcting their bad teaching. There's no problem with that. All religions do that. Yeah, they all do it. That's not offensive. But you get to Easter. Oh, man. Oh, Easter offense. Easter offense because you have Jesus going to the cross because of us. And then coming back to life, God raising him from the dead, which people struggle with for some reason. And that offends. So when I talk about the cross, let me clarify something. To speak of the cross is to speak of the death and resurrection of Jesus. I mean, that's what it's to speak of, both the death and resurrection. Paul, when he writes to the letter to the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians 15, defines the gospel this way, that Jesus died for us according to the scriptures, was buried, was raised back to life on the third day according to the scriptures. And people saw him. You have the death and the resurrection. That's the gospel message. That's the cross. And it's that, it's that resurrection that causes people trouble. But understand this about Christianity. You can't take the resurrection away. I've shared with you many times. In fact, I preached messages that this was the theme, that Christianity rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, Christianity rises and falls. You take the resurrection out, you don't have a Christianity. You got just another works-based religion if you take out the resurrection of Christ. I mean, when you come to the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that ends up being the focus. I mean, they spend more time on the events around the cross of Jesus than anything else. The early message in Acts, Peter preached it. He said, Jesus Christ, you crucified him, God raised him from the dead. You crucified him, God raised him from the dead. You crucified him, God raised him from the dead. They said, stop preaching that. He said, no. You know why I won't preach to stop that? Because you crucified him and God raised him from the dead. Paul, he says, I preach Christ crucified. When he talks about the gospel, he says, if you come up with another gospel, you're going to be condemned. I mean, the, the resurrection is everything. So here's Jesus last week. We saw him. The last few months, I mean, we're, we're on the back end of his ministry. We're just a few months away from the cross. And we know John 6 tells us that after he fed 5,000 people and the people started flooding to him, he preached some tough messages and then they began to back away. So his ministry in the masses is declining. His, his healing ministry, that's, it's, he's going to do it, but his public ministry is going on the down because he's going to spend time focusing on his guys. So we saw last week, he took them to Caesarea Philippi to get away. And for the first time, he looked forward to the cross. There are three times that Mark records Jesus as warning them, predicting, telling them what's going to happen. He says, the son of man, that's Jesus, the Messiah, is going to die, be raised back to life. And they struggle with this, and I get that. I mean, if you don't know anything about the cross, the idea that the Messiah is going to die 
was crazy. And that God's going to raise him back to life. Well, yeah, they get that, but none of that made sense to them. And so they struggled. And shortly after that, Jesus, as chapter 9 begins, opens up, goes to the Mount of Transfiguration. So he takes Peter, James, and John, just those three, those three and he goes and he's transfigured. or He, he has his glorified, resurrected body with, with Elijah and with Moses. And with that in mind, we pick up in verse 9. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus, Peter, James, and John, he gave them orders not to relate to anyone what they had seen. Don't tell the other guys this. Can you imagine? When they come out, hey, what were you guys doing with Jesus? Eh, we ain't going to tell you. Can't tell you. Jesus said, can't tell you, not going to tell you. Oh, that, yeah, that worked well. That was common for Jesus, by the way. He said, don't tell anybody. We see that all the time. This is the last time in Mark Jesus tells them. Don't tell anybody. And then we see, though, that there'll come a time when they can, he says, until the Son of Man rose from the dead. Don't tell anybody anything until after the cross. That's what he's saying. After that, it'll all make sense. You know why it'll all make sense? Because life is clearest at the cross. It makes life clear. So verse 10 says, they seized upon that state, discussing with one another what rising from the dead meant. I mean, I mean they're like, okay. Peter, James, and John. Do you have any idea what he's talking about? Like, no, I don't know what he's talking about. They just, they, and, and so what did it mean with Moses being there? And what about Elisha? Well, you know, Elisha, they all knew was, was talked about in their scriptures in the Old Testament. Malachi said that before the, the day of the Lord, you know, Malachi said that Elijah's coming back. Not reincarnated, but someone like that. So they asked him saying, then why is it that the scribes say that Elijah must come first. I mean, before the Messiah, before you, you're the Messiah. And we just saw Elijah, but Elijah hadn't come yet. Why, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Now, the scribes were those people that Jesus had been battling, you know, for the authority. We've talked about that. But the scribes were right. They, they understood correctly that someone like Elijah would come. So Jesus replied, <coughs> And he said to them, well, Elijah does come first, and he restores all things. The scribes are right. Elijah comes first. The idea of restoring means he's going to put things back in order. In other words, someone's going to come like Elijah, and they're going to preach and teach like Elijah and be getting people's hearts right where they need to be. All four of the gospel stories remind us and tell us, by the way, that John the Baptist was the Elijah. And yet then Jesus asked him a question. How is it then written that the Son of Man, that is the Messiah, that is me, how will he suffer many things and be treated with contempt? So if Elijah's going to come and restore everything, why is the Messiah going to be rejected? Kind of like Isaiah 52 and 53 talks about. And then he clarifies and he says to them, but I say to you this, Elijah has indeed come. That was John the Baptist. And they did to him whatever they wanted, just as it is written. They did to John what they wanted back in 1 Kings. Elijah comes, and he preaches against Ahab, the king of Israel, and his wicked, evil, godless wife, Jezebel. And Jezebel tries to kill Elijah, but she can't. Interesting enough, when John the Baptist comes, he also preaches against the king, Herod, and his wife, Herodias, and she has him killed. So this is, this is kind of a confusing thing. When I read this all the time, and I'm thinking, okay, I know what ahead, I know what follows. I'm trying to make sense of this. 
So here's kind of where we are. Jesus kind of stops the train of thought. We'll see in just a minute there. They get with the other guys. They've reached the other guys. So the discussion ends kind of abruptly. But you have them talking about Jesus. They've experienced the transfiguration. And they've heard already that Jesus has talked about the cross and they can't figure it. And Elijah's supposed to come, but they saw Elijah. So they're saying, Jesus, help us make sense of it. We don't get it. We don't understand and Jesus is saying, guys, here's what happened. Elijah's already come, and they killed him. And what they did to John the Baptist is a picture of what they're going to do to me. And they stop the conversation. They meet the rest of the guys. <laughs> the rest of the guys, some, somebody has brought to them his son who's possessed by a demon, and they can't do anything. So Jesus halts what he's doing, casts that demon out of that kid. And then he gets the rest of the guys and they take a journey. We pick up in verse 30 this way. And from there, they, the 12 plus Jesus, went out and began to go through Galilee. He did not anyone to know about it. So they didn't stop in Galilee. Remember the area of Galilee is where he did his, most of his early work. He's been to Jerusalem a couple of times, but most of everything was in Galilee. They're going through Galilee. They don't want people to know. They're taking this journey. Essentially, they're beginning to head down towards Jerusalem. And people argue about the timing of all this. I get it. But that, in Mark's presentation, that's basically where they're going. <clears throat> and then we read verse 31. For he was doing something. He was teaching and telling them. Now, he was continually teaching and continually telling. When they take a journey, it's not like they're walking like Jesus and 12 guys behind him like a ducks, you know. I mean, you know, when you take a long, we, we travel in cars, I know. But if you were to walk a long distance, if we were to all leave here and we were going to walk to lunch and we were going to all walk off, I don't know, let's pick somewhere good, um, Moongate Cafe, I like to go. We're going to walk way out I-70. I'm probably the only one, of, you and me, the only ones who go to Moongate, probably. It's a good place. Don't go there because I don't want you to go. It's too crowded. <laughs> we've, been, we've been traveling in clusters of people. We were coming groups in here and there. And that's what they were doing. And he would go and he was talking to them. And what was he talking to them about continually? Here's what he was saying. The son of man, that's me, the Messiah. They've already claimed he's the Messiah. They know it. Okay. Is to be handed over to men. The word handed over sometimes is translated betray. Judas betrayed Jesus. But God, Paul tells us, also handed him over. Well, did God betray Jesus? No. The word handed over just means to give over. He's going to be given over to men, and they will kill him. That's me. And when they has been killed, he will rise three days later. And he kept telling them this. Peter's saying, you know, Mark, he would tell us and tell us. And we just didn't get it. We would argue with him, saying, but, but Jesus, how can you be killed? You're the Messiah. Why would that happen? People love you. They're not going to want to kill you. And, and they were traveling and talking, and he was teaching them, and they weren't getting it. They didn't understand what it meant. But we shouldn't expect them to, because the cross hadn't come yet. And nothing would make sense until the cross. But Jesus was laying an important foundation for them to understand about who he was and what he came to do. And here's the thing. The intent of God was always the cross. And Jesus knew it. 
And Jesus broke the way God intended. You've got to understand this. Jesus broke the way God had always intended the cross. And what Jesus did, you and I must do as well. I'm going to talk to you now about bringing things into focus. I remember it well. We were at Luby's at the corner of 1604 on Blanco Road in San Antonio. I know what you're thinking. Well, it was 20, 2002. It was Debbie, I, and Kelly. And I know you're thinking you were a little young to be going to Luby's, but yeah. So we were at Luby's. And we got our food. We ate it. It was good. And uh, I picked up the bill to look at it. <laughs> and I realized I couldn't read it. I was doing this. I, Debbie looked at what's going on. I said, honey, I think I need glasses. And then it dawned on me, I've been struggling for a while. I, I had a Bible, and I had to hold the Bible a little bit further away. I, got a, I never got a large print Bible. I refused to get a large print Bible, but I got one that was a little bit larger. <laughs> and then I realized when I was working on the computer, I was changing the font size. I, everything was out of focus. I couldn't see anymore when I read. It didn't happen overnight. It was gradual, but I never realized it. And boom, one day, it's all out of focus. That happens to us in our faith, by the way. It happens to churches. Everything's going good for a church. I had church having success. Thing, it, things are working. It worked once. We'll do it again. It works twice. After a while, it just becomes part of their tradition. And for 25 years, they do the same things. Only for 20, they haven't been working. They just didn't realize it. And all of a sudden, they wake up one day and they look around. And the only people that are coming are the ones that have been coming for the last 25 years. And they don't understand that what they've done doesn't work. They've lost focus. Or the church gets a, a new pastor, and the pastor's a little different kind of pre preacher, speaker. And, you know, he's different, but he's good. People like him. And, 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 and some of the stuff he says kind of light, you know, kind of shallow, but it's okay. He tells good stories, tells lots of stories, lots of really relevant things in life, talks about books he's read. And then a few years down the line, it, it's Easter Sunday. He gets up there and starts preaching. He talks about the cross and he says, hey, the cross, it doesn't matter if the cross ever happened. What matters is how you think about Jesus. And they said, well, hang on a second. What do you mean it doesn't matter if the cross happened? And all of a sudden they realize he doesn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. But it's too late. And they look around and they realize the church has been damaged. It's easy to happen in Christianity. Tuesday, after staff meeting, uh, we went to eat in Anthony at Don Carbone's. Don Carbone's is a chicken place. They have chicken. Not fried chicken. It's healthier chicken. But they have chicken. You go to get chicken, right? Hey, let's go to Don Carbone's. Why? Because we're going to get chicken. You can tell a lot by your staff, people you meet, with what they eat. We go to Don Carbone's to get chicken. And the new guy, Stephen, gets a hamburger. Someone had to remind me, I forgot, he's from California. <laughs> oh, it'll take a while for him to get. And then they, and they were looking at their menu, and one of the things they have, they're advertising, and I hear Brian with the skinny jeans and the poofy hair telling Josh with the baggy jeans and the uncombed hair. He's saying, look what they got, look at that special they got. And it's the Power Fitness Bowl. It has, I can't even say it, tofu. And it has the rice that's a fake rice that starts with the Q that no one can pronounce. Well, I can't. Look at those guys, and, and Josh sees me. He's going, 
We can't get that. So they got chicken <laughs> and a salad. We eat. You walk outside, and I see a truck, and it's got the sunblock on it. You know, that sunscreen thing? And on one side is the name of a church. We'll tell you the church. It ain't from Las Cruces, but it was a church. And the other thing, they had a saying. And, and I looked at that, and that saying, that saying, it said, God, it's so cool, it's so cool. God is on your side. And I got so tingly when I read that. I spent my life looking for a motto, and I found my life motto. God is on my side. And if you know me, you're thinking, well, I don't sound like it. You're right. I can't tell you what I actually thought, but it was something like this. That's the most pathetic, flippant, unserious thing I had ever seen. Amen. And uh, I knew at that point I'd be using this sermon because this is going to make good. I mean, <laughs> let me tell you something about God. God is holy. Okay? He is a holy God. And his holiness means he is separate from what he created. But he loves his creation, but he cannot have the sinfulness. And we are sinners. I mean, we are, you know we are. Look at the world, look at our culture. We're not good, we're sinful. Look at everything happening in our world today, all over the world, come on. That kind of sinful. I was reading in Psalm 51 Friday about David. Beautiful Psalm, it's the most important. I know 23 is the favorite. Psalm 51, doctrinally is the most important. David had sinned, again, you know, had committed adultery with Bathsheba. 2 Samuel 11, killed her husband, Uriah. Murder and adultery, the big two. And, and of course, he was suffering. And Nathan, the prophet, had come to David. And when David realized, truly realized what he had done, he wrote Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, he said, God, I know I've done wrong. But at least through it all, God, you were on my side. He didn't write that. You know what he wrote? He said, God, against you and you only have I sinned. And I have done what is evil in your sight. And you are right to judge me. But please forgive me. Wash me and make me whiter than snow. God had told the people of Israel, you worship me, no one else. You stay away from all those pagan gods of the Baals. And what did they do? They worshiped all the pagan gods of the Baals. So he sent the prophets. And what was the message of the prophets when they came to Israel? It was, hey, guys, hang in there. You're okay. You can do this. God's on your side. That's what he said. They said, you better repent. Because if you don't repent, God will bring your enemies and they'll destroy you. In 722, the Assyrians destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. Wiped out the ten tribes so that they no longer exist as an entity. 587, the Babylonians came to the southern kingdom. And would have done the exact same completely to the southern kingdom, if not for God's promise to David, for the Messiah would come from his throne. So they weren't completely wiped out, but they were taken into captivity. In the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke tells us that a guy came to Jesus called the rich young ruler. Mark says he loved him. Jesus loved him. He said to Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus put his arm around him, brought him close, patted him on the chest. Said, you're doing fine. Have you kept the commandments? Yeah. Why don't you just sell some of your stuff? Give it to the poor. We're good. He didn't say that. 
He said, take every single thing you have because it's keeping you from God. Sell all of it, give it away. Give it to the poor, then after that you come follow me. And they say he walked away sad because he was so rich. And Jesus let him walk away. He said, man, it's hard for the rich to go to heaven. And his disciples said, what? If they can't go, who can go? It's almost impossible. It's impossible for anybody on their own. But with God, all things are possible. You know what we see from Jesus and all those guys? We see that we're not good. God's not, God's not on our side. Well, I know Romans says if God is for us, he can be against us. He's writing that to Christians. Paul's writing to the church. It's true. And we know that God loves us. God does love us. That's why Jesus came. <coughs> Jesus came to go to the cross. You take the cross with him, what do you got? What do you got? I, I, I see people telling me sometimes, and I hear, well, you know, David, the cross offends people. Well, yeah, I know it offends people. We don't want to hear that we're in rebellion against God. And if we don't put our faith in Christ, we're going to spend eternity in that rebellion. We don't want to hear that. I have people say, well, David, people don't like to hear about sin. Well, no kidding. I don't like to hear about sin. I don't want you telling me what I do wrong. And I get that. Nobody wants that. But the solution isn't to take away the cross. Taking the cross away won't make things better. And I know we want to reach our culture and we want to love them, and I get that. But here's what you need to understand. That American Christianity is in danger of denying the cross to please our culture. That's what we're doing. We're not going to reach them. Some of you are a part of that culture. Why are you here? are Are you here to hear me tell you the same thing that you can get on every news channel and every website that you go to? It's not what's going to work. You can't take the cross away. The Christian faith exists because of the cross. A crossless faith is impossible because salvation is impossible without the cross. Can't happen. Now, I know when I, I hear people, folks, we got to love people. Well, you're right, we have to love people. <coughs> But don't let the culture define love. Don't let a culture in rebellion against God tell you how to love them. I mean, look at, the, look at what's happening in Europe and how people react to that. Do you see love at all in our culture? Look at American life and all that's happening. Some of you that get on all the different websites and social media, look at, look at some of the things you write about other people. And you know good and well that ain't loving. Culture doesn't love. Jesus loved. But he doesn't love like the culture tries to define it. You want to love like Jesus? Here's what you do. If you want to love like Jesus, you go to the culture and say, I love you. I care about you. But what you're doing is wrong. Your life is wrong. You're in rebellion against God. And you need to come to Christ. Because that's what Jesus did. You go to the religious systems and say, if you don't start getting back to preaching and teaching and sharing with people the truth about God, you're going to die off. That's what Jesus did. He came to people and said, repent from your sin. Repent from your sin and turn to the gospel. That's how Jesus loved people. 
And he did it to people, even though the people rejected him, hated him, despised him, crucified him. But he loved them. And yes, we love. But in loving people, we don't hide the cross. We can't. Peter tells Mark, you know, Mark, we didn't understand this. We tried, but we couldn't get it. He told us all these things. We saw all the miracles. We saw him battle with religious leaders. And none of it made sense, Mark, until the cross. And then everything got clearer at the cross. It's no different for you. If you really want to break the way God intends, if you want to be where God wants you to be, you have to break to the cross. You have to understand all the Old Testament. Nope. You don't have to understand it. Do you have to understand all the New Testament? Nope. (laughs) You don't have to understand what they didn't understand until the cross. Jesus said, here's what you do. You follow me. You turn away from your sin. And you believe in me. And that's what you need to do. And if you've never done that, I invite you to experience that kind of love from the cross and give your life to Christ in a minute. Some of us will be standing here and you, you can do that. And ladies, if you'd rather talk to another woman, there'll be a woman here and do that. Now, those of you that are followers of Jesus, take a good hard look. Do you love people enough to share at the cross? I know people can be strange and different. Debbie and I at a restaurant yesterday had a really, really different wait, person. But when I looked at them, I knew Jesus really loved them. Now, I didn't have time in our setting to talk about the cross. But I know that's what they need. Because that's what people need in life. You know why they need that? Because everything is clearest at the cross. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for that cross. And if we're ever going to break the way you intended, we have to break to the cross. We may not always understand everything there is. It may not always make sense. It doesn't have to. We got to trust Jesus with our life. And we trust him at the cross. Let us follow Jesus and love him. And let us at this church share the cross. Because everything in life is clearest at the cross.